0: This morning, I have the opportunity to share from God's Word from you. If I haven't met you, my name is Scott Kegel. I'm the pastor here at Agora Bible Fellowship. But we're going to dive in, and we're talking about a very important name. Now, in our culture, in our society, when we think about names, we usually associate more something that we like the sound of it, or maybe you have a pet name for somebody or a nickname. Anybody grow up with a, a fun nickname that you want to share right now? No, we're not going to do that. But I remember my, my best friend uh, Joe and I, here's a, a picture of us. I'm the better looking one there, but uh, he's got a little bit more hair. Um, we, we've been friends since I was 15 years old, and a strange thing I've realized, we talk a couple times a week. He's a pastor up in uh, Fresno talk a few times a week, and each time we talk, we usually start our conversation with some kind of a reference to a goofy nickname of the other person. So I'll be like, hey, Jay Smooth, or I'll be, hey, JoJo the dog Face boy, or hey, Basil Nader, or well, whatever it is, there's usually a story attached. Does anybody else do this with a friend? Okay, I'm the only one. Thanks for leaving me high and dry up here. He calls, and he, he usually attaches my first initial with my last name, so Skeggle, but he goes back to some He-Man days with Skeggle Tor, and, uh, and, and, and it may be a, 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 from our, our high school Spanish class, El Scato. Uh, I, I don't know what it is for you, what your name is, or what you think of when you think of fun names. Well, in our culture, names aren't such a big deal, but in the Old Testament and New Testament, names meant everything. Names were a massive deal in the way that people interacted. You are known by your name, and it was true also with our God, being known by the name that was given to Him. But an interesting thing about our God is when asked what His name is, His response was two simple words, I am i am fascinating isn't that how did when god had a chance out of all the descriptors or how he wanted to be known he uses two simple words i am do you remember the dialogue where this came up it was back in in exodus it was at the burning bush and moses is being called to go into talk to pharaoh and say let my people go do you remember this conversation He was called to do that, and in the conversation, Moses was uh, getting a little bit freaked out, and he said, he asked him, you can see it here on the screen, in Exodus 3, 13, asked God, he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am who "'has sent me to you.'" Fascinating dialogue or exchange. I was reading a bit up on this. What does I am actually mean? What is, why would somebody use that to describe it? And there's a, some things I learned about I am. You might not know this, but in the original Hebrew alphabet, it was spelled Y-H-W-H, which we get the name Yahweh from. They didn't have vowels in the original language, we use the, when we say Yahweh, it's to be the interpreted, the exact interpretation is saying I am. So with that, the question is, what does I am actually mean? I probably read three hours of commentary, what's basically coming to the conclusion is nobody really knows. Nobody knows exactly, and there's a, a lot of confusion around it, and I think that's appropriate because they're grasping for explanation because it's a title that leaves unlimited room for description unlimited room for description it's like a start of a statement that's incomplete you have to fill in the blank you fill in the blank i am all powerful i am almighty who else could say that about themselves i am my name is you can't describe me my name is there's no, you have no chance of trying to figure me out that's what he's saying his name is and so for that time that day and that time the, the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they got to know, I am, I am all-powerful, I am a God who keeps His promises, I am to be feared, I am to be revered, I am, I, I, you can think of all of the names that they came up with for Him, an unstoppable force. For the Jewish people, for the His chosen people, they probably identified some names for I am as well. I I am faithful. I am trustworthy. I, I am concerned about my people. I am, in the Old Testament, a disciplinarian, right? So they got to know, they got to finish that statement in a lot of ways. My question for us this morning is, how would you complete that statement in your life? What would you say, I am, you fill in The blank. What is he in your life? You see, until Jesus arrived, they were left with little snippets of who he was, but it wasn't clear until Jesus showed up the full scope of who God was. But the awesome, the awesome thing about Jesus' arrival on earth is Hebrews 1 3 describes what he was. He says, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. In the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So in other words, you didn't have to wonder any longer what God was like. He was being revealed in a, in a person. in the, the, the man of Jesus Christ and God in an earth suit came down in the perfect picture to say, this is what I'm like. I'll complete the sentence. It's interesting, or I guess you'd say it even makes sense, that Jesus often used that name himself. In fact, they they didn't like that, the religious leaders of that time, because they knew when he used the title Yahweh, when he used those two words, I am, what was he saying? I am God. I am the Messiah. I came down. I am was a powerful thing. In fact, I want to look just briefly as we d- dive in, John 8, 58, when he was in a debate with the scribes and Pharisees in the, in the temple, this is Jesus' words, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So how did they respond? So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They took it really seriously because they knew the weight of what was happening when he made that, 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 that claim about who he was. And so throughout the New Testament, I shouldn't say New Testament, the Gospels, we see glimpses of Jesus' claim to be I am. And the fascinating thing, as I was doing some research on it this week, there's seven different times in the book of John, and in those times, it's, a little, it's almost like he says, I am Yahweh. He makes that claim. It's not just like you and I saying, I am this. It's literally using that term and expression, which was different in that language, But then he finishes the statement with a little bit more revelation of who he was. Does that make sense? So each time in the book of John explaining, well, who is this God? Who is this God? And so the picture becomes, as we unpack it, a little bit more clear as to who this God was. Let me pray before we dive into this. God, thank you so much for this text. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for what we're celebrating today this morning, that you came, lived the perfect life, gave the picture of who you are, died as a sacrifice, rose again so we could have victory over our sin and be restored to you. We praise you here this morning. I pray that you teach us about ourselves. I thank you that each one of these names is still so relevant to where we're at even today. We're going to see that here in the text now. I pray that you'd be great and I'd be small in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So this past week, I don't know if anybody else has gotten this flu bug that's going around. Basically, I was home. You have too. It was a, it was a brutal one. Like it was, just, it was a, a fever for like five days straight. And so I'm real excited to hear what I have to say this morning. Uh, so, so be patient with me. But I'm going to walk through basically four of these different, these seven different times that Jesus refers to himself as I am. And you're going to see a trend with each one of these. He makes the claim, and then he backs it up in a physical expression. So he makes the claim about himself, and then he says, "Not am I, I'm not just a big talker like that seventh grade friend you had. Like, I, I literally act out on what I claim. So the first one is this, and we can see if you can, you can guess how he's going to act it out. The first one is this claim, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Anybody have any guess of what he, how he might display that? Anybody? This is audience participation. We can chat. We're, we're friends. Small. Yeah, loaves and fishes. That's my sister. All right. So here's here literally. Uh, so here's, uh, here's the uh, the idea. John six thirty five, where he makes the statement, but we see the story unpack. We had a massive crowds would gather to see Jesus. Who is this guy that everybody that's healing everywhere he goes, that his preaching is as if it's one with authority? John 6 9 tells the story that we might be familiar with. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus says, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. So just to give you an idea, 5,000 men typically means when you add the women and the children in the mix, at least double that. So picture about 10,000 people, pretty good-sized group, I'd say, a little bigger than are here this morning, but, uh, but you picture 10,000 people, it says, it says, Jesus then took the loaves, remember just a couple, then he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted as much as they wanted just just allow your mind to grasp that for a second this massive group of people showing up to unlimited food, like this was, anybody been to one of those Brazilian steakhouses, all you can eat meat, like all that? I love that stuff, Uh uh-huh. But this was like the seafood buffet, like this was like unlimited, and I imagine people were pretty hungry when you see free food, something in us is like, must eat more, it's free, must eat more, it's free. And so the same thing is true with the people there that day, they're just like, yes, yes, more, more. And so he's feeding, All of these people, almost to make the point, just so he could make the statement, which was the following day, which is this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Powerful statement. If you think about that, that's a a statement about what actually satisfies you see, we're in a world, they were in a world, we're in a world that has an insatiable hunger and thirst for something that will satisfy us. We go to the most extreme ends trying to find, what is it that's going to fill this hole? What is it that's going to make me feel complete? What is, is it more success? Is it more things? Is it more experiences? Is it knowing more people? Is it having more friends? Is it my family? We turn over every rock trying to get satisfied. And here, Jesus is making the ultimate claim. He's saying, I'm what satisfies. I'm the one thing. I'm the thing that that will actually fill you up when you're on empty. I'm what will actually satisfy you. What if we actually took him at this claim and stopped going back to our vices to fill us back up and started going directly to him? For us, what would that look like in our lives? What would that change? How would that redirect our week? What would have to look different? Would it be maybe a little less television? Maybe a a few less drinks, Maybe a few less forbidden habits. What would it look like if he was the one that we looked to fill back up with? That's what he's saying there. He's making a claim. Well, how would I have to change my week to adjust to that? What would, what would need to look different? What if we used the natural tools? I want to just propose something as a practical idea. What if we used some of the practical tools of things that I'm, I'm naturally drawn to? You're like, oh, I really like when there's just... Silence. Anybody just screaming for some silence in their life? What if you're, yes, if you have kids, yes. What if you're like, hey, I could just go for a nice walk and actually listen to God? What about that idea? What if, what if some of the things you naturally gravitate towards, I like, I really enjoy being outside in creation. What if you actually did that? What if you sat down by the ocean, and just enjoyed God for a moment? What if we carved out space and margin so that we actually could be satisfied by God? A lot of us are running at such a pace, that's not even a possibility. What if we actually took some of the things that we're passionate about you are like, well, I enjoy reading. What if we stopped reading dumb novels about uh, about kids on brooms and we started reading something on significance? Sorry. Uh, (laughs) What if we actually read something with some depth? and significance. Wow, I didn't know I was going to hit such a nerve there. What if we actually read some things that actually filled us up, that actually satisfied us? What if our our, our desire for the arts or music, we're like, man, I really love music. What if instead of listening to somebody rap about all the things they own, what if we started listening to somebody worshiping Almighty God? What would that look like? Man, God could actually satisfy us if we gave him the opportunity so that's the first claim how are we doing with that maybe that's the name we need to be reminded of this morning i am the bread of life the second one i am the light of the world john 9 5 guess this one what do you think might be the possibility of the way that he displays this one if he's going to be the light of the world anybody have any any guesses for this one my sister doesn't get to guess this one yes there we go from the doctor in the front row this is this is this is an awesome picture of what Jesus says he says I'm going to make that claim but he does it in the middle of healing a man that's been blind from birth that's been blind from birth let's read about it here as as long as I am in the world I am the light of the world I want to put a pause on that for one second. That's pretty cool statement one. It's also pretty cool to think when he left, he told us, you are the light of the world. In other words, he passed that on. So he says, as long as I'm in the wor- world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed, gross. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Solemn, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back, what? Seeing. You you just move through the, the gospel stories and you just go from one story like this to the next and you're like, what would it have been like to know this man, to experience this man? First off, I think, Jesus has a little bit of fun in his mode of miracles. Let's be honest here. Like that's, like he we already know that he can do things with just a word. Why would he spit on the ground first? That's disgusting. And then mix it with dirt and then rub it in some dude's eye. Like how 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 crazy is that? Good thing he didn't see it coming. You know, sorry, that's bad. But but, but, but to take that, to take the mud and actually rub it in somebody's eye and say, go, go wash that out, then you'll be able to see again. Like, how unbelievable. All of a sudden, when he makes the statement, when he says, I'm Yahweh, and I am the light of the world, you're kind of like, well, you, you did just kind of take this guy that couldn't see, and now he can, so I can't really debate with you as the designer of the eyeball as the one that made it, as the one that put it into place, you just fixed it. You just restored it. You just made it again with a little bit of mud from the earth. Unbelievable. The light of the world is what he describes himself as. You imagine that guy would have done anything to get his sight because once you have something, you're just like, oh man, I got it. I can't imagine life without it. Imagine your life without sight. Like, man, just close your eyes for a second. Like, just what would that that be like, just trying to navigate through things and and try to feel what that would be like is unbelievable. I was talking with someone, this is maybe a crazy illustration, I was talking to somebody recently about life prior to navigation in our cars, prior to having this device that you could look up, like isn't this amazing? I can ask Siri how to get home and she tells me, she tells me, she walks me step by step. She talks me through it. She says, Oh, it's your turn's coming up right now. You got to turn up here on the left. Oh, she even takes into account traffic patterns to help me out. Like, like, is anybody else so excited about this technology? <laughs> Amen. Like, this is good. See, you can get Pentecostal here. And so, so here's the here's the, the thing. Here, here's the thing. Is before that. When we didn't have that, what was life like? I'm going to give you two words, MapQuest. Anybody else remember MapQuest? Everybody keeps saying that in each of the services. I never had that. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, MapQuest, MapQuest. So you'd start by, you type it in at the beginning where your destination you're starting at, and what do you do? Type in where you're headed, right? And then it would give you the steps, you'd print them out, you'd set them on your chair, on your seat next to you in the car, almost kill people as you're checking it, right? Do you guys remember that? What did we do before that? I want to show you. No, stop it with the Thomas guy. (laughs) You're messing up my illustration. (laughs) Road Atlas. This was where it was at. Anybody else remember these? I specifically rem- remember that 1992 edition because that picture still s- stuck in my brain because it haunted me, the road atlas. My family does an annual uh, family vacation, a road trip, and, uh, and we would go to, the, go to the same spot every year. And uh, my dad, one year, we weren't dr- he wasn't driving with us. He said, well, that's okay. I'll just help you map it out through an atlas. I was like, oh, well, that shouldn't be too bad. I discovered whoever designed that is directionally challenged. You go, you're, you're, you're like going through the map. You come into one section of road, and you're like, oh, it ends there, and you need to turn to page 32 to get to where anybody else. You're like, try doing that while you're driving a minivan, right? Like, are you kidding me? So here's the thing. The reason I bring that up is once you've experienced the light, you can't imagine going back without it. Here's the truth. Once you've started to see what it's like to have actually God guide and direct your life, or He is the one that's telling you, do this, don't do that, go this way, don't go that way, you start thinking, what did I do without this? What did I do when I was trying to just navigate on my own? Like, it, it didn't make any sense when I start listening to His voice and His promptings, and you're like, Oh, thank you. You kept me off of that detour. You kept me off of that cliff. You protected me from this harm. Man, life within the bounds of being His light is fantastic in comparison. That doesn't mean it's perfect, right? Doesn't mean it's not absent of some some trial. Doesn't mean that, but you skip so much when you take Him at His word that He is the light. I want to see what His Word says for my life. I was talking to a, a gentleman after a service a, a few weeks back, and he's newer to our church, and he says, man, he's like, man I love getting into God's Word, and I, I love hearing you preach. He says, but do you know any other good preachers that are out there? I'm like, oh, I get, that's always, always tough, but I, no, I don't mind at all. And so... Um, and, and so I said, I said, listen, I said, there's a few, here's a, two of them to listen to online because there's so many great podcasts and everybody else enjoys some good things. Don't tell me. No, uh, uh, but seriously, there, so I suggested two different ones, but I kind of was a little bit disappointed because as I was saying, uh, saying the two names to him, I noticed that he didn't write them down. And I always know when somebody is serious about it, when they actually write it down or not, and I'm like, this guy's not going to remember that. Well, guess what? A week later, he sends me an email, and he says, Scott, I looked up these two guys' names, and I said, he said, I've been listening to them. They're fantastic. Not as good as you, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really say that part. Um, but so I was like, this is awesome. So I gave him another list of like seven or eight more. And, he said, and the thing that he, that he said that stuck in my, my mind, he says, the more I get of it, the more I want of it. The more I get of it, the more I... I want of it. And isn't that the truth with God's word when he's the one that's shining the spotlight? Or are we going to go back to our own little flickering flashlight based on our knowledge, based on our life experience, based on, okay, I know what's best. Yeah, okay, you got it all solved. Or All right, buddy, good luck with that. But here's the truth. God said it in his word. I am the light of the world. Are we following that light? Next one. I am the resurrection and the life. What's your guess on that one? What's your guess on the resurrection and the life? This is, we're going to keep this interaction thing going. What's your, what's your guess? Anybody have a guess on this one? I'm the resurrection and life. When did you use it? Easter. Yes, Easter is good, but it was Lazarus. So this was the, the, the last of the, the big public miracles that Jesus did prior to being on the cross. It's a fantastic one, debatably maybe one of the, the best. It's hard to narrow them down. Uh, a best of Jesus uh, list. Uh, I'm the resurrection in the the life. This was based on the story of his good friend Lazarus. And Lazarus, if you remember, was the brother of Mary and Martha who were also close friends of Jesus. They sent word to Jesus saying, Lazarus is getting sick. It'd be nice if you could come and help solve this. Well, Jesus kind of did something strange. He kind of dragged his feet in showing up. You're like, "Man, I thought you were my friend. I thought you'd come solve this." And so, in fact, scripture says that he didn't come to actually see Lazarus until 4 days after he was dead. You're like, "Oh, man, that's a that's a bummer. Like if you're going to do something, you're needed to be here a little while ago." We'll pick up the story in John 11:21. You can see it on the screen. I'm being very nice to you on Easter. I'm not making you look up all of these passages. Normally, I make you look them up. So here it is on the screen. John 11:21. 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look at that guilt trip. Anybody else have that friend that <laughs> soon as you see him, they have something that you didn't do? Uh, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, blah, blah, blah. It says, <laughs> Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, this was pushing her outside of of her comfort zone this was pushing her into an area where she had to believe in something that she had never seen or experienced in her mind this was the impossible in her mind this was the impossible lazarus is already dead i know someday he's going to be raised again to go to heaven i get that i've heard you teach on that before i i understand that but he's saying no i I am, again, Yahweh, I am the resurrection and life. I am the life. Re- I am the God of the impossible. I am the God of the impossible. Some of you showed up this morning, and you have something that's going on in your life, and you're like, you know what? I know God takes care of this. He takes care of this, but this is the thing that's the impossible. It's the Lazarus from the dead story. It's the piece that you're like, I know he can fix this, but my marriage we live together, but we don't even talk. My, th- this business partnership got shredded, and I can't fix it. I, my, my finances are so far under. Uh, there's nothing that could solve this. This is the section that you need to hear because we have a God that's the God of the impossible. I am the resurrection and the life. There's nothing that's outside of his reach, the impossible. My sister uh, Kathleen, who lives in uh, Denver, is a chaplain and works at a church there, and uh, she tells the, the story she was on an airplane talking to a, a gentleman there, and usually if you're talking to my sister, something spiritual will come up in the conversation, and uh, she has a real heart for, for folks, and she's talking to this gentleman that was sitting next to her, just finding out what he was up to, and he looked kind of in a, in a bad mood, and she's like, everything okay? And she's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm headed to a, a golf outing. I was like, yeah, I would feel pretty depressed if I was headed to one, too. And, uh, and so, but she came to discover that what they're headed to, the reason he was depressed is because he had seen the forecast and looked outside and the skies were black and there was rain for the next three days. He's like, I'm doubting that we're even going to play. So in the conversation, she keeps trying to go talk about God and Jesus. She wasn't getting anywhere. He was so focused on missing this, this golf thing. So anyway, at the end of the conversation, she was like, well, she's like, hey, listen, what if I do this? She's like, if I, if I pray that God changes the weather for you, does the impossible, If maybe you might acknowledge him at some point in your life? And he's like, sure, crazy lady. And, uh, <laughs> and so she did. She said she just remembered at the end of the conversation, she's like, oh, God, it'd be nice if you gave this guy the weather that he asked for, and that he could actually enjoy some golf this weekend, and you'd be glorified. And and so, guess what happened that weekend? You can guess where this story. I'm a pastor. And so, uh, it stayed really cloudy and gloomy. No, I'm just kidding. So, the, 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 the sky was perfectly blue all weekend. Clouds, whatever happened, whatever uh, a storm front just moved through, perfect golfing weather. The guy, I'm sure, was standing at each hole and being like, whoa, who was that lady on the plane? Like who? What, like, what in the world happened here? I was thinking about that as the God of the impossible. Well, in this situation, this Lazarus was already four days dead. Jesus, after uh, mourning with them, says to them in verse 39, tells them, Take away the stone that Martha, the sister, the practical one, sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor For he has been dead for days. In other words, if you have your King James Version, he stinketh. And uh, th- this, this, uh, this idea, he's saying, don't you understand, Jesus, how this works? I was listening to a, a sermon this week on this topic, and the pastor spent like 20 minutes talking about how decomposition works in the body, and after 72 hours, the bacteria starts breaking down the dead cells, and you start to turn a color of green, and, and you start to stinketh, and how th- th- this whole thing works. Martha's just being practical. She's like, Jesus, this is how it worked. They had these little tombs that you'd be in. You slide the the dead body in and then put a rock in front so that animals wouldn't get at it. It wasn't like our typical way under the earth. And, And so she's like, you don't understand. You don't want to open that. And he's like, no, just trust me. Remember, I am the resurrection and the life. And so she does. She has them move the stone out of the way. Verse 43, in a loud voice, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Imagine. The scene, See, seeing this guy crawling, wiggling his way out of that little spot and coming out, and he's like, "Somebody let me out of here! Like I'm alive!" And, and so, can you imagine? And he has to tell them. I don't. I, I imagine them just all with jaws drop, and they're like, "He's like somebody at least unwrap the guy." And, and so, <laughs> and, and so there he is, not just making the statement, "I am the resurrection and the life," showing the statement. That he's the resurrection in the life. What does he need to show you this morning about the impossible? What do you need to turn over to him and say, All right, God, I'm trusting you with this. I can't solve it, I can't fix it. I need you to be the resurrection in the life, in my life. Last one. We'll conclude with this one fitting for this Sunday. I am the way the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. What will his visible demonstration of this one be? This was, imagine, after hundreds of meals with his disciples, his closest friends, they're finally having supper together, a last supper together, and this is, he's explaining to them, it's, it's, it's interesting to me as you read these dialogues, he explained to him exactly what was going to happen. He's like, I'm going to be taken by the guards. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. And somehow they missed it. But in, in his kindness, in his kindness, we know that they missed it. You know why they missed it? Chad brought this up a few days ago because there was nobody there on Sunday morning going, 10, 9, 8, <laughs> 7, 6. There's nobody there waiting for Jesus to rise. But they, he told him instead, he says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He explained to them, I'm, I'm the one way. He recognized what we still need to understand today, that our sin, our choice to rebel, to say, I'm not interested in you, God, I'm doing my own thing, going my own way, that separated us from a perfect God he understood that there had to be a new way back to God carved because we couldn't get there by our good works. We were outside of hope, and he's saying, I'm that hope. I am the way. I'm the only way back. In order to do that, though, he had to go through the cross, right? He had to go through the cross. He had to willingly give himself over to the Roman government, to the Jewish government, leaders of that time and allow them to execute him. I it, found it fascinating, one more little sneak spot that the I am comes up. In John 18.6, when Jesus was being arrested in the garden, do you remember the scene? John 18.6, he's being, being arrested and uh, there's a, a group of, of soldiers and religious leaders uh, showing up. It says that it was a band of soldiers I was doing a little reading about this, and the band is somewhere between 300 and 600 soldiers. Even conservative John MacArthur said at least 200. And so, and so I mean, either way, it's a lot, of, a lot of soldiers there gathered to arrest Jesus. So you imagine all these troops showing up, and this is the, 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 the strongest military presence on the planet ruling. So all of these tough guards showing up, they've got weapons in hand, it says. They've got their commander there with them. They've got torches. And Jesus, when he's asked what who he is he says i am he look at john eighteen six. you see it on the screen there already when jesus said to them i am he they drew back and fell to the ground that's a pretty cool picture isn't it like imagine all these burly guys and they're just like we're coming to take you away and he's like i'm he whoosh like <laughs> are you kidding me can you imagine this picture, this scene of all of these men flat on their backs? Like, that's the reminder to us that Jesus marched to the cross willingly. Nobody took him. He wasn't stuck. This was the man that speaks people back into life. He gives sight to the blind. He feeds people out of nothing. Are you kidding me? They didn't take him. He went to the cross for us. He played their, their game. He allowed himself to be stripped, whipped, Tortured, mocked, traded for a criminal, a crown of thorns wedged on his head, his beard ripped out, spat on, nailed to a cross, suffocating on a Roman tree that he made. Are you serious? This is our God. This is how he was the way, the truth, and the life. But we know that the story didn't end there on the cross. The story ends with a celebration that on the third day in the morning when they showed up, they're like, wait a second, he's not here. Why? Because he's alive. He's risen so that we'd have victory over death ourselves. So this bold statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, was visually demonstrated with Jesus Christ on a cross, dying, rising again and saying, look, there it is, there's the proof. There it, it's not just a, an empty statement, it's a statement that's backed up with fact, with a visual demonstration. I acted this one out myself. I'm the key player in this one. It's not another guy, it's not Lazarus, it's not a, a group of people. I'm the picture of being the way, the truth, and life. That's what Jesus did for us. So, I wonder just as we wrap up, which of these areas did you, which of these names do you need to be more familiar with this Easter? Which one do you need to be more familiar with? What would you finish, need to finish the statement, I am, I know God as I am this? Do you need to know Him a little bit better as the bread of life? If you're real honest with yourself, you're going down lots of roads trying to be satisfied on things you know aren't going to satisfy you might might have the way part you might have the salvation back when you may may, maybe prayed a long time ago but if you're honest you're still chasing all these other things to satisfy maybe that's who you need to know you need to know him as the bread of life maybe you need this morning to know him as the light maybe you're like man i've i'm familiar with him i know him but if i'm real honest with myself I don't give much concern to what his word says or what his plan is for my life. That's not even in my vocabulary. It's not part of my routine. It's not part of anything in my mindset as I start my day. Maybe this is the resolve you need this morning. Say, God, I I want you to be the light of my life. I want to have the Jeff story on the video. I want to say, I want to turn this bus around and I want you to be the one guiding and directing it. Maybe the, the last one or the one before that, the resurrection and the life, the God of the impossible. Maybe that's the, the name that you need to see him as this morning. Maybe there's something in your life that you're like, man, I can't even see God because I'm so blinded by this thing. This thing that's become so consuming, I don't even know how to solve it. what if this morning was Easter Sunday, a calling and an invite to say, all right, I'm going to turn even the impossible even over to him. What would that look like in your life this morning? How would things need to change? What freedom that would bring as you took that off your back and put it before him? The last one, and this is probably for the, the most desperate for some, some of us that showed up this morning, you're like, I don't really know what, how I ended up here, this little random church in a neighborhood, listening to some bald guy talking about uh, names of God. But, uh, but I do know this, is that this invite the way, the truth, and the life is for every single person on this planet. And your life comes down to 70, 80, maybe you get 100 years, 105, whatever amount, whatever amount it is, this is the decision. What are you going to do with Jesus' offer of his death as payment for your sins? What are you going to do with that offer? What are you going to do with that name of God? The way, the truth, and the life. Are you going to say, no, I'm going to keep blazing my own way. man"? What, but that's not the truth. You're not the truth. You're not the life. You're going to keep running into, into walls until you finally bend a knee and say, I accept, Jesus, what you did on the cross for me. I accept that. I believe that. If you can't point to a time where that's happened in your life, guess what? It probably hasn't happened. It probably hasn't happened if you can't think of it. So this morning, I want to give just a, a moment and a few seconds here, and this is a, a chance for us to slow down. We did this this last month. I think it's going to become uh, a tradition for our church, an opportunity just to pause in silence. And uh, sometimes in churches, they'll say, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Anybody ever heard that said before? we are going to say it the opposite. With your eyes opened and your heads up, we're going to give the opportunity to come to a decision. This is an invitation to say, I'm in or not. Where a lot of people are like, you know, I can't really point to a time where I've made that choice. Well, now is an opportunity, Easter 2016, where you can say, I'm in. I accept what Jesus did. That invitation where he's standing there with his arms outstretched and he's saying, all right, I died for you, will you embrace that free gift? And so I'm going to give a, a moment of just quiet where if that's a choice you want to make, you're going to do a, a visual, this is practical, You have a visual demonstration of your statement. You're going to stand up and you're going to say, I'm in, I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm making the choice right here in front of everybody. I'm in. It's kind of a, a fun story. Last month when we when we did that, we had a, a woman from our our neighborhood that was that's been coming to to church recently, and uh, that that stood up and said I, I'm in. And I was asking her about it afterwards. We we're real excited for her in the story. And I said, Well, what was going on when you're kind of wrestling through that decision? She said she said the best way to describe it is like. You're offering a, a bag of potato chips. How could I say no? I was like I was like I was like I, 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 maybe that's a woman thing. I don't know. But uh but 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 here here's the, the thing. I I don't know if that's a descriptor typically of the gospel message. But here's the the offer. Is that invitation is still there. It's so attractive because this it redirects somebody's eternity. It changes everything. It changes how we live now. It changes how we live tomorrow. It changes where our eternal destination is. So I want to give a few moments of silence, and I know this is always awkward, where if you want to make that decision, you just stand up and say, I'm in. I'm in. So here's that quiet, awkward moment. Praise God. It's awesome. It's awesome. Anybody else? Amen. Praise God. It's awesome. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. It's awesome. Some people's hearts are beating in their chest. They're like, please say something. God, stop the awkward tension. Do something. But here's the thing. is Sometimes we just need that moment of silence where God's saying, just come. Why wouldn't you say yes to a God that loved you enough to come down, live the perfect life, die as a substitute for your sins on the cross? Why wouldn't you say yes? Give another moment of silence. Praise God. Well, the encouraging thing is, is this is a, a church where you can investigate these things, that you can wrestle through this decision, where you can, where you can pursue and take steps towards God and he'll keep pursuing you This is the simple prayer for those of you that just stood up. I want to pray with you. It's just calling out to God and saying, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. We're going to do this in a moment. I accept what you did for me on the cross. Let's pray together that prayer. God, our own hearts, and even people that didn't stand up, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've blown it. I've fallen so short of your perfect standard. I can't do it on my own. I humbly admit that. I accept what you did for me on the cross. I believe in you. I believe that you're the the God that loved me enough to come down and die for me. I embrace that free gift. I want to live for you now, for the rest of my life. I want you to lead. I know I'm not going to be perfect at this, but I need you even in that. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this free gift. Pray for each person that stood up in this room that made that decision that that would be etched in their mind forever. Eternity is redirected. Your word says that there's a a party that happens up in heaven when any one person comes home to Christ. I thank you that this morning four people here now have made that choice. God, we praise you for that. We celebrate you. You're a good, good father. Praise you in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, praise God for what he's doing in this room, even this morning. I just praise him for how he's working in people's hearts. For those of you that made the choice to to stand up and and say, I'm in, man. We'd love to just at least get your name and info, not so we can stalk you, but so we can encourage you and and cheer you on in your new walk with Christ. We're so excited about that. Let's give a hand one more time for what God's doing in people's lives. My prayer and hope too for anyone that's here that's still like, man, Scott, I I still feel that tug. I still feel it. Man, my hope is that we could talk with you, could we help process that. Maybe that would just be after the service now for a few moments up front. I pray you have a wonderful, wonderful week celebrating our risen Lord. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Two, first.